Well, so you guys are coming to the end of your Daniel fast, and um, I'm wanting to encourage you today. Um, firstly, I want us to, ju- we're not going to spend most of our time there, but myself and my wife, we were looking at, because um, we're doing the Daniel fast, we were looking at Daniel chapter 10 um, together the other day, or maybe even yesterday, I can't remember what day it was, yesterday, the day before, and, um, and it's where Daniel, he's been fasting and praying um, for three weeks, and, and, and then this extraordinary moment where um, Daniel chapter 10, verse 2, I mean, in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. So this is where we get, the, this is where we get it from. On the 24th, imagine this, imagine you are there. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl of precious stone, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches. It's terrifying. His arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision. But a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. Right? So they can't see it, but they can sense the presence of this awesome figure. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep, with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, listen to this, O Daniel, man greatly loved. In that moment, that's what you need to hear, right? (laughs) Man greatly loved. Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I've been sent to you. And when he'd spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Now listen to this, he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God. Your words have been heard. And listen to this. And I have come because of your words. What an extraordinary thing to say. I have come because of your words. Anyone ever felt when they're praying, they're faltering, stumbling words, you're thinking, this can't be doing anything. Anyone ever experienced that when praying? You're thinking, what's the point of this? They're bouncing off the ceiling at best. If they even get that far. Listen to this. I came because of your words. Daniel hadn't done anything exotic. In fact, quite the opposite. He'd simply humbled himself, like you guys have as a church, to seek the face of God. And the response from heaven is, I came because of your words. And before we go into the main sermon today, I just want you guys to be in a real place of expectation that while I'm sure you're already feeling the benefits of a sense of unity, when you do something like this together, it pulls you together. You can all already, I mean, just as guests, we can feel the expectation in the room. You can feel the sense of there's something special going on among you guys. It's wonderful. But interestingly, this happened at the end of this time. And to encourage and to exhort you guys to be an expectation for what God will do in the coming days in response to your words. Think of the prayers that you've prayed. 
in response to those prayers, the movement of heaven towards you as a church. How wonderful is that? And to be in that place and to be, and to be in a place of faith as a church, saying, no, Lord, we've prayed, we've sought your face. We expect you to move in, in some different kind of way as a result of these words. Amen? When you gather yourselves, when you sacrifice good things, I mean, how many of you felt like your world, world was falling apart on day one or day two? You know, what do you mean no biscuits? Yeah, no crisps, you know. But when you sacrifice to seek God, God notices, God sees. There's something about it. It doesn't earn you more favor with God. Jesus has done all of that by his work on the cross. Of course it doesn't. But there's something powerful in the spiritual places when God's people are willing to go without in order for the purposes of God's, God's purposes to come to pass. It's noted in heaven. It's seen. It's heard. It matters. It means something. So I want to just encourage you with that and to make sure that you really understand you have done something very significant over these past three weeks. Very significant. You should expect to see significant movement of God's power and spirit on earth as it is in heaven as a result. Amen? And I want to speak to you today about one other area that, can, that is also hugely important. Hugely important for building a healthy church, but also for power in prayer. So let's go together to Mark chapter 11. So only a very short passage. It's a passage about faith. Jesus had cursed the fig tree because it hadn't. Didn't, didn't have any fruit on it. Verse, um, verse 20, Mark 11. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you've cursed has withered. Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and doesn't doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I, what I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe you've received it and it will be yours. Now, this is essentially what I've been saying up to this point. From the day. Believe that what you pray for, God is hearing. You're praying from a pure heart. You're seeking first his kingdom. Okay? It, it, it's not, it, don't let it become um, a scenario where you're kind of just ticking boxes. Don't let that happen with your prayer life. It can happen. And when you notice it, pull yourself back from that. Because that's not what this is, thing should be about. You should be expecting God to move when we pray. Amen? Some people say, you know, when you pray, things don't change, but you change. You do change, but things change. You haven't got to choose between the two. Okay? The Bible never says, do you choose which one? Or this one, not that one. No, no, no. Both are true. We change. God softens our heart. God straightens us out when we're praying for crazy stuff. We know all of that. Okay? But also, God moves and things change when we pray. Amen? Was both. So that's pretty much what I said in the first bit. But now I want us to focus here on verse 25. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, it's pretty all-encompassing there, folks. Anything against anyone. So that your Father also, who is in heaven, 
may forgive you your trespasses. Interesting, the context is, when you stand praying, when you draw near to God, forgive. Make sure that you're not carrying into the presence of God anything against anyone. Ooh. How many of us now are going, I wish you didn't come this morning? (laughs) Oh, no. I want to speak to you today about the essential importance of good relationships within the church. The vital importance of good relationships within the church in order for the church to be genuinely healthy and genuinely strong. In the book of Hebrews, the writer talks about a root of bitterness that he says defiles many. When there's a root of bitterness in someone's heart and that someone's part of a community, then that community can be defiled by that root of bitterness. There's an invisible reality to what the church is. We can look around and we can see there's so much about this room that tells us good things about the church. Okay, We can see the flags and we go, wow, look, the nations, God loves the nations. We can see, we see Redeemer Kids banner. Oh, wow, there's kids out. Aren't kids the best? Am I right? Kids are the best. What a blessing they are. There's music. What a blessing music is. You can see there's, there's, there's a diverse group of people. A group of people you think, hmm, would these people normally be in the same room together? Something amazing has happened. There's so much we can see that is good. But you know what? There's a whole unseen element to the life of a church. There's a whole unseen element. What's going on in the heart? What's going on in the mind? But that is laid bare in the spiritual realm. Which means that it matters just as much, if not more, than these other seen things. In fact, it's the driver for the seen things. Why are these flags up? Because someone in their heart realized one day that God loves the nations of the earth. Something in their heart went, oh! And they caught God's heart and God's vision for the nations of the earth to know the goodness of the gospel. That's why the flags there, they're seen, but they came from something unseen that happened. And everything else. And when we ignore the unseen, what we find is is that over time, the seen becomes impacted very negatively. Which is why the Bible says, above all else, guard your heart. For from it flow the springs of life. We, are people, we live from the heart. We live from the center. We, we don't just add things. We, every, what we do and what we really invest our lives in comes out of that unseen place of kind of faith, vision, desire, and all of that. It's a bit like <laughs> desire. Desire makes me laugh and smile more than, more than many things when you think about the way people operate. You know someone who's too, someone, imagine you've got someone who's too busy to do something. They're too busy to do this thing. They haven't got any time. They, their life is packed. Then they fall in love. And magically, out of that situation, five evenings a week appear. They just appear. It's a mathematical scientific conundrum how that could happen. Suddenly this person has discovered five evenings a week to be with this person. Why? Because they've fallen in love. But you were so busy, you couldn't do anything before. Yeah, something changed. What? Desire. I fell in love. We are creatures of desire, ladies and gentlemen. We are not creatures of logic. 
We create logical arguments to, to try and make it look reasonable while we are doing the things we're doing, but logic is not driving what we do. Desire is driving what we do. Am I right? It's all part of the unseen. It's all part of the unseen. I want to just spend a few minutes just drilling in into the vital importance of maintaining the unity of the Spirit that God bought for us through the work of Jesus on the cross. The Bible says that when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just deal with the wall of separation between God and man, which he did, which is why in the temple that huge thick curtain was torn in two from top to bottom, very important. Because it wasn't, it wasn't man making his way to God, it was God coming to man. So that we can know reconciliation with God, we can know relationship with God through the work of Jesus on the cross and through that alone, amen? All we bring to the table are the things we've done wrong. And we just come with empty hands and empty eyes. We say, Lord, we cling to Jesus. We cling. We lay down our burden of sin at the foot of the cross. We lay down guilt. We lay down shame. We lay down the sins we've done. We lay down the sins done to us. And we say, Lord, I want to live a new way in you. And because of the incredible work of Christ on the cross, his broken body and poured out blood, we are instantly, instantly justified and adopted and made right with God. Whoa! I gave one after Jesus 30, 31 years ago. Since then, I've written some books. I've preached some sermons. I'm no more right with God today than I was in that moment when I said, Jesus, I'm all yours. Okay? Because none of those things have altered my status before God in any way at all. I was enthroned with Christ from the moment I put my faith in him. That's the gospel, folks. It's all about his work. Hallelujah. And when you get it, it liberates your heart. And it produces an energy and a power that where you, you're doing things that no amount of, of discipline in the world could get you to do. Because you've been transformed by the gospel. That's how it works. But the Bible also says that the walls of separation in Ephesians, particularly with Jew and Gentile, which for many of us can feel a little bit far and a little bit a long way away. But imagine just for a moment the walls of separation um, that you often find between men and women or between different people of different skin color or people of different generation and all of the pain and hostility and trauma that can often come by those separations. Well, let me tell you, the Jew-Gentile divide was that and more. And the Bible says that through the work of Christ, that wall was broken down, which means every other wall is broken down as well. Amen? Amen. He brings us together. And so we come together in Christ. And the wonder of it is because he is so enormous in his scope, because he is so multidimensional in his glory and in his wonder, he is essentially big enough to hold us all together. And when we, when we build community that is based on Christ, it can keep us together. You base it on anything else, it'll fall apart. But when you base your fellowship, your love for one another, your connection, your community, you build relationship, you reach towards one another from a place of understanding who that person is in front of you, something wonderful and powerful happens in the power of the Holy Spirit. Churches are created. It's magnificent. But the Bible says, maintain that. There's work to be done to maintain that. I can guarantee you, if you get involved in a church properly, you will at some point or the other be horribly offended. Let me just guarantee that too, okay? Totally. 
If you just come and visit on a Sunday, if you make sure you step into the room once the songs have started and step out just before it finishes, you might not get offended. But if you really get into the life of a church, okay, because church isn't about attending a meeting, it's about being part of a body. It's about giving yourself to a group of people that love Jesus. It's about, know, be, it's about knowing and being known, loving and being loved, serving and being served. Once, if you give yourself to that, I can guarantee you, you're going to be offended and hurt and you're going to feel mistreated. It's going to happen, folks. And my observation is this, many, many Christians do not deal with it well when it happens. They don't deal with it well. And it's a matter of huge spiritual warfare. Paul says in Ephesians, do not let the sun go down on your anger, giving the enemy a foothold. Do not give the enemy a foothold. When you harbor unrighteous anger, when you harbor that stuff in your heart, even as a believer, you open a door to the enemy. So you're not, it's not that you're suddenly not a believer or God suddenly rejected you. You're still a child of God, but you know what? You can't operate how you should. It's a bit like when, when our kids were younger and they were naughty. They're still our kids. But until they say sorry, something's not right. You know that atmosphere, that vibe. Yeah, you kind of go, you know, they can give me as many kisses and chocolate bars as they like. And I like chocolate bars. But until they say sorry, something's not right. And similarly, as a believer, when you harbor things against people, particularly other members of the body of Christ, it's all people, but there's something uniquely powerful about when it's other members of the body of Christ. The enemy can get in. The enemy can get in and cause torment. And, you, and something's not right in your relationship with God. It's, it's, not work, it's not flowing or working anymore. And the thing I want to describe it, and here's what happens then, right? Because the enemy's got him, he's a deceiver. So then what happens is, he starts, it's called, I call it the Hall of Mirrors. You know what the Hall of Mirrors is? Some of you younger people might not. Back in the day, you get these fun fairs that would come to a town, and one of the things was called the Hall of Mirrors. And you walk in, and it's basically the room of mirrors, but the glass is, is kind of set up in a warped way. So you walk in, and you look at yourself, and you really laugh with your friends, because, I don't know, maybe your head looks enormous, and your body's... It's all, out of, it's all out of perspective. It's all weird and warped, and you go, oh, look at me, and we all have a laugh, right? The Hall of Mirrors. There's a spiritual version of that, and here's what happens. When you do not forgive, when you hold things against people, you open the door to the deceiver. He then comes in, and guess what he starts doing? He starts, um, those people you've got problems and issues with, he starts projecting them in into your heart with the hall of mirrors. He starts caricaturing them. So you start seeing them as brutal, as enemies, as this, as that, and the other. I tell you what, this is a critique of our wider culture now, where it's just the norm now to find your corner and begin blast in the other corner as a caricature and if that creeps into the church we are in trouble okay we are in big trouble which is why it's vitally important when you are hurt you don't see things straight did you hear that when you're hurt your perspective is shot 
which is why we've got to forgive. Why? So healing can come. Why? So perspective can be restored. Why? So we can build relationally. It's so, so important. There was a situation in the church in Corinth, and one of the guys was doing this kind of terrible sort of sin. And Paul had to write to them and say, you've got to straighten this guy out. And then, and then he wrote to him a, a second letter, and he's saying, I'm glad you straightened him out. But then he says this. He says, he says, uh, he says he took, took referring to this guy, he said, look, this punishment by the majority isn't enough. You've kind of, you, you know, you've sort of put him out of the church so he can straighten things out. And, and, and come back in, right? And then he says, so you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or we may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. And he's pleading with them, please forgive, please forgive. And, he's, and then he ends by saying this. He says, um, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. The enemy loves it when believers don't forgive. Why? It totally undoes the gospel story. What's the gospel story? The gospel story is, We've sinned, Jesus comes and tells us so. Right? He tells us, says you've sinned. <laughs> it's part of becoming a Christian, right? You have to acknowledge you've sinned. Na- naturally, a human being will not acknowledge they've sinned. They'll just make a load of defenses as to why it's not their fault. So when, a, when someone comes to the cross and gives their life to Christ and says, I've sinned, that, that is a work of the Holy Spirit there. It's incredible. Okay? And then once they've been told that they've sinned, then they say, Lord, I'm sorry, please forgive me. The floodgates of heaven open, forgiveness comes, and we're reconciled to God. Okay? So it's kind of like slightly hard news, you've sinned. Okay? Repentance, forgiveness, reconciliation. That's how the gospel works. And guess what? Surprise, surprise, that's how the church works. We're going to end on this. Don't want time to respond today. Jesus says, when your brother sins against you, What's the next thing you should do? Good. Go to him and do what? Not forgive. Not yet. To tell him his fault. We don't do that. We don't do that. And we wonder why people stay in church but become increasingly distant over the years because each offence is like a brick in the wall and never say anything or do this kind of forgiveness thing just basically brushing it under the carpet smiling English version of forgiveness and then someone does the final offence and they're gone and everyone goes but it was such a small thing why have they gone? No, it's not that they never did what Jesus said And it's massive for us because culturally, it's not what we do. Some cultures do this. Someone sins against you, you go and tell them. (gasps) Yeah? If you're English, particularly if you're from the south of England, we don't do this. If you're a northerner, you might. Much more straight talking. If you're working class, you might. If you're middle class, 95% sure you won't. And that's not a, every, every class, culture, everything's got their good and their bad spots. But I would say particularly I have seen this time and time again. If your brother sins against you, go and tell them their fault. Why? So they can say sorry. Why? So you can forgive them. Why? So you can be reconciled. Having a conversation with someone recently, they said it's unfair. Why, if I'm the one that sinned against, why should I be the one who straightens it out? Two reasons. Number one, 
If they meant to hurt you, they're never going to come and say sorry anyway. Number two, if they didn't mean to hurt you, they don't realize they've done it. <laughs> so they're not going to say sorry. And a whole lot of treading on toes goes on with no one realizing. Am I right? We say careless things. There's indiscreet behavior. There's foolish talk. There's immature. There's stuff that comes out of ignorance, but it hurts. It hurts. I was with someone the other day. They said something, and it, it ah. I told them. Didn't do it straight away. Don't shoot from the hip. Think about it. Because you've got to go, Lord, am I being oversensitive or was that out of order? Very important question. Yeah? And you don't go to your brother and tell him, tell him why you're really upset. You tell him what they've done wrong. So it's concrete. Give it 24 hours. Sleep on it. Not hard with anger, but just God, just before God. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, if I don't say something, something's been missed there. I just reached out. Look, just when you said that, I don't know if you realized, but explained it. His first response was, thank you for caring enough to challenge me. That's a big response. His second point was something else I can't remember. Third point, I'm so sorry. We talked about it. I said, mate, I totally forgive you. I totally trust your heart. That's the kingdom. That is kingdom relationships. That's how we do live out the gospel in our relationships. And I just, I felt, you know, Lord, what do I want to bring to the church here? And I wasn't sure. And sometimes it takes a long while to come through the pipeline with me. So it got to about this morning. And I thought, yeah, I think this, this, this will, if, if you begin to build this in, and it takes time and years to learn how to do it well. But if you can have this kind of agreement as a community, we want to learn how to do this well. Okay, which means you give space to each other when it's done imperfectly, but you're all on the same road, maintaining what Jesus has bought for us, maintaining the unity of the Spirit. I tell you what, man, it's invisible to the naked eye. It's so visible in the spiritual places. Angels and demons look on. Angels look on in wonder. Look at the wisdom of God. Demons look on in terror. Why? All the doors are shut. All the doors are shut. That's powerful. Now, what time does things end? I don't know what time things end to. Okay. Because this is such a real issue, rather than preaching for any longer, I'd love to do about five minutes Q&A with you guys, just to be able to make sure none of you have misunderstood me, got the wrong end of the stick, because some of you will be sitting here with serious offenses that have been done against you. I think, well, where would I start to give in that? Okay, I recognize that. Okay? But it's so important that we engage with this one. Okay? So any questions that you have on this, I'll be really happy to answer, do my best, from Scripture, not my own opinions. Okay? And then just give a chance for people to respond and say, Lord, you know, soften and prepare my heart because I'm going to need to have a conversation with someone, with some people, you know, that kind of thing. So I hope that's okay. It wasn't a long sermon, but, you know, Jesus said, blessed to you if you do these things. So it's all about application once we've understood what he's saying. So any questions on the subject of forgiveness, reconciliation, getting right with people, practical stuff, stuff that's going to help you in the doing of it or in the understanding of it. Um, 
be really happy to answer. Yeah, it's an interesting one. The whole subject of forgiving God. What, what, the way I would tend to phrase it is I think, I think the, the phrase forgiving God is very problematic, right? For the obvious reason that it suggests what? God's done something wrong, right? So that you go down that way. I think you've, you've gone down that you just that, It's a bit of a cul-de-sac, that one. But I think in terms of that sense exactly of what you're saying, of saying, Lord, I'm not, Jesus said, blessed are those who aren't, who don't stumble over me. Blessed are those who aren't offended by me. God will at times allow things. You think, Lord God, you're in charge. This is why it's a problem for us, right? We don't serve a little idol that we've made out of wood and sit it there, and then when things don't work out our way, we go, okay, well, you know, what, what could it have done anyway? We serve the living God. All powerful, all good. So when things happen, you go, how on earth, how on earth Lord, could you? And a lot, of, a lot of tough things happen to godly people, right? Let's be honest. Um, and sometimes it's because of silly choices and all that. Sometimes it's really not. It's just the eternal mysteries. You go, Lord, I'm, I have no idea. And what we is so vital in those moments to say, Lord, I'm not, I'm not going to stumble on that. I'm not going to fall flat on my face there so I can't run anymore. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually trust that somehow in your sovereign purpose, all of this will be worked together for good as I respond in a godly way. So I think, yeah. So I would, like you're saying, I would steer away from that language, forgiving God, but I would definitely be in that place of saying, Lord, I really help my heart here not to, not to take offense at what you've permitted to happen. Um, because that, that can literally, people fall at that hurdle, and sometimes that's as far as they get in their race. The Lord had so much for them. But it's that they never can't move on from it. It becomes the defining thing of the, the, the narrative of their life. How tragic is that? So yeah, that's that's the way I would respond to that. That's okay. Yes. 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 Yeah. 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 For sure. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So in wider family where there's issues, particularly if it's not a Christian family, which would be definitely my situation. Most of my wider family aren't believers, and there's, there's, and there's, pl- there's plenty of action in my family. Um, so <laughs> so in, on that front, I think that it is a different dynamic, and it's more like a Romans 12, where you say, I'm not going to take revenge. There's that sort of, almost that sense where, you know where you think, to approach this, it's not going to be helpful. The person's not ready to hear it. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, not, it's not that vibe. Oh, they don't even understand the concept of forgiveness and how it works. You just know. It's, but there's that sense in which you say, Lord, I'm going to leave them in your hands. Yes. 
It's a really good question. I mean, these are the, these is the realities of life. Everyone, you're, you know, everyone here will be going, oh, you know. I mean, this is it. Yeah, they, I think that there's a time for everything, isn't there? there? And there's times and there's seasons. This is where this sermon and walking with God comes in because it's not formulaic. But I think there's definitely, God has not given us a spirit of timidity. And if people ever interpret the message of forgiveness with the message of timidity, they've completely not heard it at all. Look at Jesus in his relationships. At times, really forthright. You know, really forthright. But the hypocrites ignored Herod. The only person to be ignored by Jesus. How about that? Just blanked him. Wouldn't answer his questions. He, Jesus, you know, it winds me up sometimes to say, Jesus always did this. No, he didn't. He's, to, he's the same, the same, same forever. He's totally unpredictable because he's, he's, what's the father doing? And he's responding to situations as they come. So I think if you're walking with God, there's times where you go, maybe, Lord, it's time to actually... Whatever it might be, everything from creating healthy boundaries to being confrontational to taking a bit of time out, that's all fine. You're, but you're, you're protecting your heart from vengeance, which means, this, and the way to do that is you say, Lord, please can you bring them to repentance so that, they, so that you can forgive them. First, first, it's what I'd love more than anything. If not, please can you deal with them? That's vital. If you're here and you've been really hurt, you will know that's vital. Because if I'm not confident God's going to deal with them, guess what I'm going to do? Deal with them. And it ain't going to go well. So I think we have to have that framework, that robust framework of God God knows what's going on here. And either in this age or the age to come, he's going to deal with them. Then we can actually genuinely in the heart not get into vengeance, which is ever so important. So I hope that helps. Yeah, one more question. Yes. So you're in a situation, you're forgiven, but they keep on hurting you more. But it's, it's, like a bit, it's a bit like Matthew 18, but a bit different. In Matthew 18, Jesus says, you know, if you forgive and they repent, you know, if they sin and repent, forgive. And then Peter says, how many times? You know, 70 times 7. Oh, no. And Jesus wasn't saying 490. He was saying, just keep going. Um, that's what's going on there. But Peter's like, this is a nightmare, you know. And I think there's a situation whereby some people repent. And then keep messing up. Every time that repentance happens, if you sense in your spirit they mean it, then you hang in there with them. You hang in there with them. If it gets to the point where you think this is just words, insincere, then it's not repentance. Right? Jesus doesn't say, now follow me here, this is really careful. I've got to thread my way through a minefield here. Jesus, Jesus doesn't say when someone sins against you, forgive them. He says when someone sins against you, and then they repent, forgive them. So, it's, so for that forgiveness dynamic to become complete, sorry, <laughs> repentance is vital. Yeah? What about when people don't repent? Then I think it's a bit like a Jesus on the cross moment, isn't it? Father, forgive them. I don't know what they're doing. Yeah? That doesn't mean you entrust yourself to a close relationship with them. If they are harmful, you've got to, that's where discernment and trust and forgiveness are different things. Forgiveness is about making sure that you are not carrying bitterness and vengeance in your heart. Trust is about how is this relationship going to work. That's a different, different thing. You've got to separate the two out. So often we lump them together when we get in, we get in, a, in a muddle. So you go, right, I've given them to God. Now what does it look like for this relationship to not be so destructive? And then you've got to make choices. So I hope that's helpful. Just trying to, you know, really... 
um, earth it and equip you guys so that for, for some of you, there will be conversations across the church in the coming days. Okay? There's people in this room that you avoid. Okay? Because you've got something against them. Oh, sorry. Who's got a question? Yeah, sorry. Just, uh, it's going into response question. mode. <laughs> um, if within a community, yes. you forgive someone that you want yes. to, well, you approach them, yes. and it tends to then be this, well, we don't think did wrong, and then you get start to get a faction. This group thinks you weren't wrong, yes. thinks you were. Yes. And there's a, and it's quite hard to work out. Yes. Has something been wrong? Is it offensive? Or not? Yes. What, how do you deal with that? A not spreading in you and yes. within the community. Yeah, you go to someone, you say, I think this is where you've done me wrong. They say, No, I haven't. <laughs> but you think, Oh, I really think they have. Then you take one other person with you. Just so there's a bit of accountability and there's a witness and it just feels safe, you know. You say, look, I said that, and so that because maybe they said no, I haven't because they just thought I can get away with it. So that should hopefully change that a bit. Um, if that doesn't change anything, then it does become a wider issue where you you know you need somehow to work out as a community what decision are we going to make about this, right? Paul says we don't judge those outside the church, but we do have to make judgments in the church. Judgment just means decisions. And Paul, in Corinthians, he's talking to some of the you know, members who have taken each other to court. He's saying, you're going to judge angels in the future. You can't even make decisions about stuff. You know, so as a church, you've got to grow in maturity about making decisions about things. And so I think it, it, it escalates. There's a, there's a process of healthy escalation whereby at some point, sooner or later, there's a larger group um, with mature people in it that are able to listen to both sides and be able to help people find each other and find repentance where they need to find it. But what you don't do, I, I this thing called processing. You know when people talk to 10 other people first who are neither part of the problem or part of the solution before they talk to the person because they're wanting to process. I understand how that may help you. You probably haven't helped those 10 or so other people. So choose your, ca you know, keep, when you need to process stuff, you need counsel, keep it narrow, tight, very, you know, a trusted individual. Just because sometimes you're gonna, you're going. I think I need to speak to that person, but it could go a bit wrong. You know, I wanted to check my own heart on this. That's that's appropriate. But if it becomes a source of just pitter tatter and gossip, as you're in trouble, man. It's really gone bad. So, yeah. All right, Chris. One last question, then I'm done. Yeah, someone's trying to process with you. Yeah, say, well, just sort of make sure. I'm, I'm happy to be that person if I can be helpful. But, you know, just advise them not to speak to too many other people to keep it. The, a good rule of thumb is talk to someone who's either part of the problem or part of the solution. You know, rather than it just being for your own sense of clarity. So I think just to help that person to not go wider with it and to keep the thing contained. It's ever so important. Narratives and stories can spread in the community. And it's one of the enemies favorite ways of just bringing division and all of that. You've got something very wonderful and special going on here. There's unity. You can feel it. It's fantastic. And the Bible says maintain it. It's, it involves work. It involves work. It involves labor. It involves certain, over the years, slightly awkward conversations, which if handled in truth and grace, by the power of God, we trust will end up leading to fruit and maturity in every direction. Amen? Amen. Amen. So listen just want to give a chance um, for people to be able to respond. I, I don't feel particularly it would be necessarily helpful to people to stand. You don't need to do that. But 
I'm going to ask you, ask us all to just um, do what we were doing in the songs, which is in our hearts, just draw near to God. And if you're here as someone that you don't, you don't know what that means, you're not used to that sort of language, you don't know how to do that. Maybe you're, you've never personally come to Jesus and given him your, your life, made him your Lord. You haven't laid down your burdens of sin and guilt and shame at the cross. You, you, don't, you don't know what that is. Then when I'm talking to the rest of the guys who do understand it, I'm saying to you in this moment, call on the name of Jesus. The Bible says if you believe God raised him from the dead and that he's alive forevermore. If you believe that, that in your heart, God raised Jesus from the dead. And if you confess with your mouth that he is Lord, you'll be saved. And so as everyone's responded, I'm saying to you, call on Jesus. He is alive. He will hear you. He will come to you and you will know. <laughs> okay? You will know. Because he takes us seriously, which is incredible. Absolutely incredible. And those of us who do know the Lord, I'm asking you to do what you were doing during the song, to just draw near in your heart. The Bible says, when you draw near, he draws near. And just, uh, just ask, say, Lord, please, is anything, if I'm holding anything against anyone, you haven't got to go like on a sort of scuba dive into your own soul. You just say, Lord, if I'm holding anything against, please can you show me? Please, just con- please bring that just conviction, that clarity of conviction. If it's a muddle, it's not the Holy Spirit. People just start coming to mind and you know. Just make a note of them. Even if it's just one person, make a mental note. If, 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 if numbers of names start coming, start writing them down. Some cultures are much more vengeful than others. That can be a weakness of particular cultures. They never let it go. If you know that's true of your culture, you know, that's, this is an area for you. Where, you know, as I was saying earlier with the English culture, that one of the big difficulties is you don't, you're not honest with each other. Just smile and pretend. If you're from a culture which is particularly vengeful and you're just like, man, alive, I wouldn't know where to start. I would ask you to make a note to speak to one of the elders. And because it could be that something that something needs sort of renewing in your mind. That's very, very significant and will really bring you into a fresh kingdom kind of a experience which will do you the world of good so let's just all be before god lord we're just before you thank you so much jesus for the incredible unity you've brought us by your blood and thank you also jesus that your blood redeems us from futile ways inherited from our forefathers so even lord if we come from families that don't forgive and bear grudges and have fallen out and don't talk to each other we just want to declare in the name of jesus we've been redeemed from that we do not have to repeat that pattern, and that's, that cycle can be broken now in the name of Jesus by the power of the blood of Christ and the Holy Spirit. And we say, no, there's a new pattern. There's a new pattern because of all that's been accomplished through the gospel. Hallelujah. But Lord, if we've just let a bit of resentment creep in, if we've got holding anything against anyone, something they said or they didn't say, something they did or they didn't do, sometimes it's what people don't do can cause you offense. The vacuum felt, the, the sense of gap felt as a result of what they didn't do or say can cause the, the pain. I pray, Lord, gracious Holy Spirit, please just reveal that to the brothers and sisters. And I pray with it you would bring wisdom to know what to do. This is, a, these are, this is complex stuff, Lord. These are deep waters. I pray for all wisdom. If it's a simple conversation over chilly lunch today and we're all sorted, hallelujah. 
if it involves a bit more than that, I pray just give a sense of wisdom, strategy, or even bring relevant counsellors to mind, wise people in the church that, can, that will be really helpful here. Lord, this is the real stuff. This is the real stuff. We thank you for the unseen reality of the church that is seen in the spirit, that is so, oh, so powerful. And we want to pray, Lord, that that will be strengthened today as a result of this, these simple words by you. When you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them. So your Father can forgive you. It unlocks so much. It unlocks that sense of walking right with God. It unlocks so much. I pray for marriages, Lord, where there's just, there's, there's a few walls that have gone up. We just want to pray, Lord, for mercy and grace for those husbands and wives. Mercy and grace to rediscover each other. Lord, to, for, for trust to be rebuilt. I pray for that, Lord, where there's, where there's pain and distance there. Harb things being harbored. Oh, Lord, we just pray for your mercy. We pray for your mercy. Husbands and wives to really find each other again. Parents and children, siblings. Oh, God. In your precious and beautiful name, Jesus. In your precious and powerful name. We thank you. You love the church. You love the church so much that when the church is being persecuted by Saul, you said to him, why are you persecuting me? That's how much you felt it. You've joined yourself to the church. We're one spirit with the Lord. Thank you for your love for us. We haven't got to doubt that. And we pray just for the sense of your powerful, transforming love to fill the hearts of men and women in this room. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray.